So again, happy anniversary, church. Uh, 15 years. Uh, in the fall of 2008, um, there was a, a group of us that got together and drove to Statesville and met with a few people that were uh, part of the EPC. Uh, we were trying to make a decision whether we were going to join the EPC, the PCA, whatever. You know, we felt like we wanted to be a part of and should be a part of a denomination. And, and so the trustees at the time decided that we would join with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church as we formed there's a lot that happened from October of that year uh, through the end of December. The first gathering were, was at the Rendell's house, and worship was there. And then our first gathered service at 6200 Falls of Noose was in the January of 2009, that, that first Sunday. And so every Sunday or every January, that first Sunday in January of every year, we have celebrated this, um, this anniversary of Hope Church. And so that January of 2009, the journey began. As Bill and I were talking, and uh, Bill Enns is the one that came up with the name Hope, and if you know the scripture, First uh, Peter 1, verse 3, and uh, it says that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And so hope was, was born. And each of the years we have used First Peter, this first chapter, to preach on, teach on, focus on as we have celebrated each of our anniversary services. And throughout the years, whether it was Bill preaching or myself preaching, we have chosen different verses out of the first 16 verses of this particular chapter. And so there's been many different focuses that we have had and verses that we have lifted up. And I will tell you, I think... Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe today will be the first time that we've used these two verses in 15 years as the focus, and it is verse 1 and 2. We usually pick up with verse 3 and preach out of one of those 3 through 16 verses, but today I want to read the 16 verses, but I'm going to focus on those first two verses as we move along. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, again, 1 Peter, this first letter of Peter's, the first chapter, and I'll be reading through verse 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through the faith for, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you great re, greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophet who prophesied of the grace that would come to make, per, to make careful search and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober, sober in the Spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be bought for you bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Peter is writing to Christians who would suffer and would suffer even more as they would live out their faith. As Christians living in exile in this world that was lost, this world that would suffer, suffer these people needed to be reminded that suffering isn't an aberration, but it was an expectation Peter tells us that. And given to God, suffering can produce gold rather than ashes. I want to say that again. Given to God, suffering can produce gold instead of ashes. 
And I believe we need to hear that. I believe we need to live into that. We need to understand that. With all that Hope Church has been through over the years and all that we have definitely faced over these last few years, suffering, hardship, loss, we have been sprinkled by his blood for his purpose to live out as the church his will that he has called us to as a church called Hope. Peter's life was, it included great suffering as he lived and at times he tried to avoid that suffering in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who the people said that he was. And we know the response. Some said John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, some of the great prophets. And then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one that piped up. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, you have made this confession not of your own. This is of God. This confession that you've given is of God. And on this, I will build my church. And then, not long after that, Jesus tells these very same disciples, and Peter is present, and says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and I'm going up to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Peter says, surely not, God. You're not going to do that. No way I'm going to let you go to Jerusalem and die. This is not going to happen, Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, Peter. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter didn't understand the glory that would come in the suffering of Jesus Christ. He didn't understand that salvation would come through the sacrifice of his Lord Jesus. How could Jesus suffer? How could Jesus die? The better question in this sinful, broken world is, how could he not? How could he not? Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cross, then the crown. Life through death. Suffering, then glory. This is the Christian life. This is the life that we leave, that we live. Peter lived his life as an example of Christ following Pentecost. He suffered and he died for his faith. In our Christian life, suffering is not optional. How do we know? 
Scripture tells us, Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, and listen to what Paul says. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. It's not that everything is perfect in this life, in this fallen world. And Peter wanted those to know that were living in exile, that they were going to suffer for their faith. But that was okay. It was not optional. There's going to be hardships. Peter's message was not some highbrow theology that he was trying to get across. He was trying to help them to understand the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and what that meant to them ultimately what it means to us today. These first two verses in this chapter, I think, reveal three truths this morning that I want to lift up to you. I think it's vital truths for us to have as Hope Church. And I really hope that you will, not because I've got words here that, that I've written down from these passages, from these scriptures, but because I believe these truths are truths that this church needs to hear today in 2024 as you move forward in what God has got in store for you. It's important for us to hear God's word. The first truth, God deeply loves us. Peter is writing, and he says that he is writing to the elect. He is writing to the chosen. It is important for us to understand that God has chosen us, that God has chosen us because he loves us. And this doctrine of election is so often just either set aside or I don't understand it, so I don't want to think about it. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning helping us understand this doctrine of election, what it means for us to be chosen because of God's love for us. Elect. Some say, wait a minute, I can't get caught up in that because if I get caught up in God choosing, it means that God doesn't choose some. If he chooses some, it means he doesn't choose some. So I'm just going to set that aside. I, I don't want to think about that. That's hard to think that my Lord would do that. We can't do that. The question is, should God choose anyone? Isn't that the question? Is there anyone deserving? Is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone spotless? Is there anyone that is righteous without sin that deserves for the Holy Spirit to give them eternal life? Is there? The scripture tells us no. No. 
There is none righteous, not one, the scripture tells us. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no good, not even one, the scripture tells us. No one is worthy. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. And many times over, not just once, we have sinned and sinned. We were born that way. You remember Genesis 6, 5? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of thought in his heart was continuously evil. Man, that's a hard sentence to hear. God created man. God created woman. He created them to be in partnership together, placed them in the garden. He gave them world dominion. He gave them everything. And for a bite of fruit, because Satan told them, look, if you do this, you can have knowledge and you can be just like God. For a bite of fruit. A few generations later, it was so bad that we hear the verse that is so disheartening that God would say, I'm sorry that I even made man. Evil was continually in man's heart. No one deserved God's grace. Everyone was wicked in God's eyes. And that's verse 5 in chapter 6. But if you go to verse 8, we have to wait a minute. Have to have that wait a minute time because it says, Noah found favor with God. Okay, so Noah found favor with God. Was Noah, Noah better off than anyone else? Does it mean that Noah was without sin? No, it does not. It just means Noah found favor with God. God looked favorably upon Noah despite his sin. You see, it is God who chose Noah. Noah did not choose God. Noah deserved the judgment of drowning in the flood just like everyone else. But God chose to save him and his family. Noah didn't deserve it. God gave it to him. God was the one who saved him. God was the one that was overwhelmingly gracious to Noah and his family. That is election. God chose Noah. Noah did not choose God first. It was God's will. Noah believed in God, not because he decided one day, oh, I think I'll have faith in God, but because God decided to come to Noah. God gave Noah his faith. God chose Noah, elected him to be saved. 
It was all God's doing. When we say we are elected according to the foreknowledge of God, we need to understand the foreknowledge speaks to the incomprehensible sovereignty of God. That God is eternally in the past, the present, will in the future. He is the one who chooses. He's the one that makes us, as we have read this morning, children of God. That we become children is so important for us to understand. God did not choose every Christian to be his child because he had this intel that one day we would choose him. And so now he's responding to that. That we will choose him so then he chooses us. It's just the opposite. The foreknowledge of God means that this sovereignty, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to set his intentionality and irresistible affection for everyone who will come to faith. It is his affection that enables us to choose him. That's the foreknowledge. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, hear that church, he gave the right to become children of God. So, I need to make a decision to believe in Jesus, yes. But you were born not of, the, of, of blood, nor of flesh, nor of man, but you've been born of God, God has chosen you. If you know Jesus, it's because you've put your faith in Jesus. Well, yes, that's true. But you have put your faith in Jesus, not just as an act of, of your will, but it's because of God's will for you. In choosing you, he enabled you to choose him. I want to say that again. In choosing you, he enabled you to choose him. This is massively important for us to understand that God has called us in spite of who we are, in spite of our sin. God chooses and that choosing isn't the problem. In fact, for us, it should be a praise. The fact that God chose me, a sinner, out of this evil world, to be one of those that he has placed his spirit in, giving eternal life, that's astounding grace. And everyone should have said amen that God has given you that grace, that he has called you to himself. Some just can't sort through it. Some don't want to think about this. And 
can't fathom anyone wanting Christ and not getting him because they didn't, God didn't choose them. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says that's the case. Nowhere. Instead, what the Bible tells us is the gospel goes out. The gospel is spread across to everyone. And anyone who wants Jesus can have him. The problem isn't wanting Jesus and not getting him. The problem is, here's the problem. It's in the wanting. The fallen nature of humankind is to reject Jesus. That's the fallen nature. Our tendency is not to seek him. Our tendency is to reject him. And unless God, in his sovereignty, calls us to himself, we will not come. This love that God has for us, this love that he has for us, is that he is going to be with us. And whether we are in the midst of suffering or exile or whatever is in our life, this doctrine of election is that God loves us. He doesn't have a return policy. Oh, I think I'll just return that one. If he has called you and he has filled you, you are his. Thanks be to God. He didn't get surprised when we sinned. He didn't get surprised when he called us to obedience and we failed him. That was no surprise to him. And the great thing is, is he overcame that through the cross for us. That our sin is forgiven us. We are sprinkled with his blood. Peter says it. We are sprinkled with Jesus' blood. He loves us. Secondly, he hasn't forgotten us. Look at verse 1 again, and Peter is writing, it says, to those elect exiles in the dispersion, as one uh, Version says Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And we know these are people that are living in the Roman provinces of what we now call modern-day Turkey. And they are what Peter calls the elect. And we would go back and we would look that God elected Israel as his chosen people. But here, Peter is indicating this isn't just about the Jews. This isn't just about Israel. This is about the Gentiles. This is about those that are, are non-Jews. These are part of the elect. And so instead of it just being the nation of Israel who is the elect chosen of God, Peter is reminding us it is the church of Jesus Christ. It is all who have come to faith. It is God's elect out of the world. And you are living in exile. You are living in a lost world. 
Can you imagine the people that read this letter from these Roman provinces? They didn't have internet. They didn't have X or Twitter or whatever. They didn't have any social media. They had heard the gospel because Peter says someone has come and preached the gospel to you, has told you about Jesus. And you are members of the faith. They might have thought, I just, I'm in this lost world and it feels like that I'm all alone and, and I'm not sure. It just seems like God has forget, forgotten me in this corner. And I think too often the church and maybe even Hope Church has said, has God forgotten us? We, we are not bursting at the seams as the mega churches are in North Raleigh. We're, we don't have people coming through the door like God intended. Has God forgotten us? And the answer is no, God has not forgotten us. God has been with us every step of the way. And God is still going to use us as the body of Christ. He has not forgotten those that were in exile were, were living and suffering. They were not the major religion. Christianity at the time was not the major religion. These were, being, were suffering and losing their life for their faith. And it would have been easy to think, where is God in all of this? But God was present. God was there. Peter's reminding them the suffering that you might face. Faith, face in your life is, is actually going to, to burn off. The fire will, will burn off the dust and, and, and it will produce gold because you are faithful. They were living in a pre-Christian world and today we're living in a post-Christian world. Today we, we see that culture, at least the Christian culture in much of the world, but even in America, is, is fading into secularism. We live among a vague Christianity that often sets no boundaries, has no real call to obedience. Whatever makes you happy, do it. God is a loving God. Bless your heart. Just live and die and go to heaven. And there's no responsibility there. That's often what we hear in the world, even in some churches, unfortunately. But Peter reminds us that even in the midst of this world in which we live, even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of loss, that God has not forgotten us, that God has not forsaken us, that God is walking with us. And that leads us to the last point. And that is, God is totally for us. Peter expounds on this total involvement of salvation through Jesus. In verse 2, he shows us that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, the Holy Trinity, is intimately involved in salvation. 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And here's that sermon title, For Sprinkling with His Blood. And for the sprinkling with His Blood. We see all three persons of the Trinity a part of this salvation. God the Father initiates this for us. The divine plan is that he is the one who elects. He is the one who chooses. And then Peter reminds us that sanctification comes from the Spirit. That is the Spirit who sanctifies us. And we, looked at, we look at sanctification here, and yes, it is a part of our ongoing development and our our life in Jesus Christ we are being sanctified for him but sanctification in this context with Peter begins at the elect at the chosen at salvation that is the beginning and the holy spirit is the one who sanctifies Peter tells us When we become Christians, God does not say, great, just take it on your own. Just, just do however you want. No, he instills the Holy Spirit in us for a reason. John 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit abides with us. The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's word. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who will help us in our weakness, will lift us up in our suffering. The one who will give us peace in the midst of all that we face. This is the sanctification, the sanctifying Holy Spirit in us. And we would never have it without God. God the Father's election, the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. And then the Son's part. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, Peter says... Here we see that there is an obedience on our part. This is not about Jesus' obedience. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. But Peter tells us this is for our obedience to Jesus Christ. That we are to be obedient. And if you look at the text in this, if you go further and you look at verse 13 on down... He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace. And then he says in 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who has called you to be holy yourselves in your behavior. We are to be obedient. For we have been sprinkled with the blood of God. If you were to look back and go back to Exodus and, and look at Exodus 24 and this covenant that God made with Israel and, and there is the, the sprinkling of the blood on the altar 
that represented the presence of God there. And, of course, it is a foreshadowing of what will come with Christ. And then the priests would sprinkle the blood on the people because God had made covenant with his people Israel. This blood was significance for forgiveness and cleansing. It was about the peace of God that would enter because of the sprinkling of the blood, the presence of God that was there. This covenant of obedience that God expects out of us is not to be taken lightly. It's not to be taken lightly. God has called us as a church to do his work. God has called us to live in obedience to him. God determined the place and the time for all things. God determined the day that Jesus would shed his blood for us. God made covenant to be with us. God made covenant with his children. Our part is to trust and believe, to live in obedience, and to be a witness to the faith, to share the gospel to the ends of the earth as long as we take breath. This is who we are called to be individually, and this is who we are called to be as a church called Hope. No matter what the circumstances, God is for us. He loves us. He's not going to forsake us. He has made covenant with us through the blood of Christ. And you and I have been sprinkled with that blood. And so why not trust him? Why not trust what he will do for us and through us in this year and years to come? Peter closes out this section and he says, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Hope Church, that is what God has given us. He has given us grace he has given us peace, and he has given it to the fullest measure because God does not make mistakes. He is perfect. We are exiled in a lost world. He loves us. He hasn't forgotten us. He is totally for us. In church, Things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. Because we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you again for the reminder of who you are and what you have done for us through your holy trinity. Father, you have called us. Your Holy Spirit has enabled us to seek you and come to faith. And it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have faith in him and have life eternal. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for that. 
we thank you for 15 years and we look forward to 15 plus more as you will guide us as a church with your power and your grace and in peace through a world that is going to be up and down and hard. But you are here and you are with us. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen.